of Jesus from Down Under. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again today and thank you for tuning in with us. Today I have a special guest and I would like to introduce to you Kim. I met Kim uh, just the other day, Saturday, as I was visiting a church where uh, he's worshipping. Even though I saw Kim before, uh, but uh, I didn't come across him and hear a bit of his story, his walk with Jesus. And I can tell you that you'll be really blessed to hear his story. Please stay with us. Kim, I would like to welcome you to our uh, program today and thank you for taking time to come with us and share your story. As I said, I already have a, a bit of an idea in my head about uh, your walk with God. Before we go into your story uh, particularly, I would like you to share with us, if you can, a bit of your uh, background, upbringing, and your family, if you can. Thanks, Nick. It's, uh, it really is a pleasure to be here. And um, with my with my background, I was brought up on York Peninsula, which is, is in South Australia, in a little country town until I was uh, about nine years old, ten years old. Then my father became very ill. He was a postmaster there. And we had to move to Adelaide so he could be close to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. And um, we, were sent to, we were sent to church as children, mainly to, to Sunday school, to receive a bit of moral installation into us so that we you know we, we we would become good people and that was fairly common back in those days and particularly so with your parents they wouldn't go to church and yet i guess it's been instilled in me from childhood that real men don't go to church and this is something which i have had to fight through my entire adult life after i did become a christian because those those pictures there of what a man is do not fit in um, in this secular society of going to church. And this is particularly true with Australia, where uh, where I guess you go all the way back to Samuel Parsons shortly after the First Fleet, uh, who was known as the flogging pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this country is very much a secular country. And it might not be so much these days about this idea that you don't go to church if you're a man. But it certainly was when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And I guess my story begins with my grandmother, who died before I was even born. And she was, she was, I won't say she was responsible for me becoming a Christian, but she had a great influence on me when I realise now, when I think of over it, on where I am now. Mm. You see, she uh, was. Uh, she lived up around Lobethal, Woodside, and the Adelaide Hills. My family had settled around Gawler. They were stonemasons, and they, then they moved to the Adelaide Hills. Um, they moved out this way, I guess, back in the 1850s and 1870s. And she, uh, she used to go to the Salvation Army you know, twice a week, I think, and she'd actually walk there. And it was a, about a 10-kilometre round trip for her to work there and back, and she thought nothing of it. And so she installed Christian virtues and the idea of the Ten Commandments in her children, and, of course, my father being one of them. And so I think that's why we were sent to church when, when I was a kid. I mean, I can't not ever remember not believing in God. I mm. always did. But I remember he would have the Methodist minister around, 
and of course in Methodism you're not supposed to smoke or drink and and of course the Methodist minister would be having his cigarette there while dad would be having his beer then dad would later say look you know and but they were very good friends but he would say later that uh, the day that I find a pastor or minister who practices what he preaches that's the day I'll go to church yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thing, uh, Kim, to hear, you know, because people are looking for uh, what we're doing, not just what we're saying. Oh, absolutely. And I know in my own life, you know, I do not always portray the perfect Christian. It's really difficult doing that. In fact, being a Christian is one of the hardest things you can do. If you follow the example of Christ, it is difficult turning the other cheek. Mm. It is difficult helping people when they don't deserve it and yet that's what christ did yeah. and there's a very good reason for that which i can't go into it yeah, right at the moment. We'll, we'll, we'll have time we'll have time to to come back and mm-hmm. do some of those uh, sharing those things you know with our listeners but today i would like to hear from you that amazing story and now you're talking about uh, uh, your grandmother how she had an influence on you even though you haven't met her but through what she believed in and what she was experiencing and doing with her life, you see the impact in your family, as you said. And your father coming across, uh, you know, uh, being exposed to the Word of God, as you just mentioned to this uh, minister, but he said, uh, well, you know what, he was looking to the um, mistakes or defects of people. And that's, you know, it's interesting concept. But yeah, please share with us a bit, uh, a bit more. Yeah, precisely, Nick. Look, um, the Bible tells us that I I knew you even before you were born. And the Lord seems to know which of us are searching for God and which of us aren't. I mean, you look at Daniel, for instance, Daniel the prophet, favoured of God, and the Lord knew him before he was born. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way it is with some people. I don't know why the Lord has taken care of me all of my life. I should be dead. I should have died several times at least that I know of. Mm-hmm. But the Lord has looked after me all of my life, and I, I'm nobody special. Yet He has done that, and all I can say is, Abba Father. Mm. And Kim, you you are going to you just shared a little bit earlier that um, you start to go to Sunday school, and all your life you said that you you can you believe in God. Share with me where your life uh, took you from there. You know. Well, we moved to Adelaide, and my father became very ill. Um, back in those days, the, uh, it was very common for people to take Bex and Vincent head powders, and those things destroyed your kidneys, and that's what happened to Dad. And uh, they destroyed his kidneys, and, and they killed him. And back then, uh, well, he died of a heart attack and high blood pressure. Um, but back then, there was no common lawsuits or stuff like that. I mean, of course, these days, those companies would be sued. Mm. But that's what cured him. And, and six months later, my brother was teaching me the facts of life. I'm a survivor of, of child. Mm. I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse, of incest. And that really defined the path I took in my life. Mm. And you, uh, you look back on the broken marriages and failed relationships and all that type of stuff, and you know that it's a result of that. Because to be, to be sexually abused as a man, that strips away your male identity as a man, mm. uh, leaves you with horrendous low self-esteem problems. 
and and inexorably the the path which most men follow is that of alcohol, drugs, many suicide, most become alcoholics or mm-hmm. or um, or drug addicts. I'm, I'm, I had a horrendous drinking problem myself. I mean, I did actually leave the church for a while, and I just almost mm. drunk myself to, to death, and the Lord called me back mm. through pretty much a miracle. Um, and it's, it's it's to the point that, you know, about 80% of men who, who end up in jail have been sexually abused as kids. Mm. The statistics are 25% of women will be sexually abused and 13% of men. So it's a huge problem out there. Certainly is, yes. Mm. So when uh, when Dad died... Now, I had this little Gideon's Bible, and uh, <laughs> I shook my fist at the heavens and said, I don't believe you anymore, and I got some lawnmower fuel, and I poured it over the Bible, and I torched it. Uh, that's how disappointed I was with God at that time. But I, don't, I didn't understand then how God operates and how God allows evil to happen to you in this world because God is not the author of evil. There isn't another power in operation in the universe and basically when you look at uh, when you look at the devil for instance people will say the devil is not real the devil's just a facade it's a figment of the, of of your imagination that people need this other opposing power in religion so you can that you can uh, it, it all becomes a crutch to fall back on well okay religion with me is a crutch but i can tell you my faith is real and if I did not believe in Christ, I would be dead. Now, there's no question about that, uh, with the history I've had because of the, the child abuse. And for people who say, well, there's no proof of God, well, I say just begin looking at prophecy. Mm. Uh, because prophecy was given to us not just to understand future events and understand where we're living, but to understand that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says and he loves those who come to him. In fact, he doesn't just love those who come to him. God loves those who are enemies to him with the, with the hope and the belief that they will come to him eventually. I mean, John 3.16 uh, show us that uh, God died for not just for a particular uh, race or uh, some people. He, he died for everyone and each one of us doesn't matter uh, where we're coming from, what sort of background, we have that chance of uh, be right with God. And I can see, um, Kim, that you're looking in the Bible to, mm-hmm. to share some uh, precious words from the Bible with, uh, with us. Please do so. Well, you see, in John fifteen seventeen, we're told that no greater, and the common belief is that's the greatest form of love there is, that a man lays down his life for his friends. And they think that this type of love is equated with how God loves us. But due to the fall, we have selfish minds. And we are covetous. And everything we do, even in marrying somebody and having children, in some way that still benefits us. Mm. But God's love is different. Um, but getting back to this idea that um, the greatest form of love there is that a man lay down his life for his friend. You can see this, for instance, in World War II, where a, a guy will throw himself on a hand grenade so his buddies will be saved, which, which is noble. It's a noble gesture. And this guy gives his life. And there are people who have done that, and they will do that in future. But it's not the love of God, because this man has given his life for his friends, mm-hmm. just as Scripture says. But the love of God is that 
I'll read it from Romans chapter 5. Please. For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will die. Yet perhaps for a good man, this is a guy who throws himself mm. on a hand grenade for his bodies. Some would even dare to die. But God commends his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it says in verse 10, For if when we were enemies, and that means enemies to God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Mm. In other words, God the Father has given Jesus to us to reconcile us back to him. Mm. It's not that God needs reconciling to us, but he reconciles him mm. us back to him because we can't do it ourselves. Yes. Kim, um, I can see that you, you are very passionate about sharing the gospel with uh, people because you know how that impacted your life. Now, even though I will bring you back now to that moment uh, when you said that even though you, you throw away, you burn down, you know, the word of God because you thought, what's this going to do uh, with me? Uh, because you've been experiencing those traumatic situation and circumstance and the result of, of those things you know please tell us a little bit more what happened I mean you are a young man and you you don't want to follow God you want to, you throw away that Bible what happened next well those experiences I had with my brother like like most people not just men women I locked it away somewhere I couldn't reach it because I couldn't deal with it and so we we start to forget we start to forget parts of our lives. And I, there were large parts of my life which I deliberately forgot. And I, I think there's still stuff there which I, I still can't remember. And um, those memories don't resurface until later in life with me. I was 20, 28. I mean, it was there in the background. I could access it if I wanted to, but I couldn't go there. Mm -hmm. And so I, it was just wiped out of my memory, basically. And, of course, um, when those memories came back, I, I couldn't deal with them, had a nervous mm. breakdown. Mm. And, but in the meantime, even though I had rejected God as, as a small kid, I was still searching for God. Because, you see, what happens is that there is a space in our heart which only God can fill. We mm. can fill it with the love of women, booze, mm. drugs, whatever. Mm -hmm. But nothing will fill that. We still remain empty because only God can fill that. Mm. And I ended up pretty rebellious as a teenager, I guess. But I was searching, and and also the ideas of the ideas of love I I had been given were so perverted. Because, for instance, uh, with what happened with my brother, with the child abuse, and mm. also my mother. Now I'm not going to say that she was a bad man. No, she wasn't. She tried the best she could, uh, but. She had some pretty perver perverted ideas on love too. For instance, she—I remember on one occasion she wrapped her arms around me, you know, like giving me a big hug, you know, like I really love you, Kim. And then she whispered in my ear, "Kim, you won't hurt your dear mother, dear old mother, by buying a motorbike, will you?" Mm. <laughs> Emotional blackmail. Mm. Um, so I, I had some pretty perverted ideas about love, and and I guess my entire life began in in a search for for what love really is. I came talking about uh, love. I think it's a um, right time now to take a short break. And um, you told me that you really like a song 
which I'm going to play in um, in a sec. But I would like you to talk a little bit about that song, if you can. Well, the song we're about to play is probably the most well-known hymn on earth. Not only does every Christian church play it, not only does every Christian know it, but most secular people know it as well. And it's called Amazing Grace, and as soon as Nick starts playing it, you'll recognise it straight away. Now, the thing about Amazing Grace, why it's really my favourite hymn, is because the background of the man who wrote it. Now, his name was John Newton. He lived in the 16th century in England, and he was a slave trader. And the gospel hit him in the sense that when he became converted to Christ, he went from trading in human flesh to trading in the gospel. And from memory, I believe he became a member of parliament and avidly fought against against slavery. Mm-hmm. And so he died a completely changed man, and I'm sure that the work he did helped to emancipate uh, the American Negroes further later down the track as well in uh, during the American Civil War. Uh, not Civil War, but American... Uh, it was a civil war. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Here we go. We have uh, prepared for you this beautiful song, Amazing Grace. And uh, just um, uh, another thing, this song was uh, uh, written, as you heard about uh, a man who, who was doing wrong things, you know, but he came across God and he changed his life around. And the music, interestingly enough, um, nobody knows. It's an uh, anonymous person who wrote the music, but it's believed to be a slave. Is that amazing? Let's hear Amazing Grace. Please stay with us. I recorded that song the way I hear it when I sing it. I still hear the sounds of the slave ships in the water. I want to sing it for you the way John Newton probably first heard it coming up out of the belly of the ship. Listen.
Another reason why I love that song so much is because of the amazing grace the Lord has shown me. As I said in from Romans chapter 5 there, that that uh, God loves the sinner. It's like the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus forgave her. He drew in the line, a line in the sand the sins of the other, of the Pharisees who were, who were wanted to put her to death. And he told her, Woman, your sins are forgiven. Go away and sin no more. Such a wonderful story. That's, that's so true, Kim. And just to uh, remind our listeners, we are talking uh, with Kim today and um, this amazing story on uh, In the Footsteps of Jesus. Kim, our time is coming uh, rapidly to, to a close, but sure. I would like you to just uh, share in the next few minutes where you are at the moment and if you can just uh, leave a bit of a message with our listeners uh, how uh, you feel God working powerfully in your life well I um, had many years of of demonic harassment because I got mixed up in the occult and I was terrified for years for about six or seven years and I was told by by uh, a man who was a Christian who's seven-day Adventist that if you just say, Satan, be gone in the name of Jesus, these things will flee from you. And that happened with me, and I began to trust Jesus. Mm. But I wasn't a Christian. I studied prophecy and all the rest of it. I wasn't a Christian. What led to me becoming a Christian was the idea of true love is that Christ was willing to go all the way to even, if it were possible, for divinity to die to be separated from God the Father forever for us. And that led me to becoming, that broke my heart mm. because I began to see that God loves us so much that he has come all the way to try and lift us out of the depths of depravity which we fall into. Even though we have a very messed up life on this earth. E yeah, ab absolutely. That 
abuse stays with me all the time. Some days I don't think about it. I'm, that's a good day if I don't think about it. Um, and I have residual anger problems as a result from it, but I'm not the angry man that I was years ago. Mm. If, if anything which the gospel has done to me or done for me, it's taught me compassion. It's taught me not to judge people because what we don't understand is that at the fall we received a mind of selfishness. We are very selfish people. And Christ has the mind of selflessness. Mm. And through the Holy Spirit, that mind of selflessness can be imparted into us and we become a little bit more like Christ. And over the years, it doesn't happen overnight, we can be changed from those people, from that horrible person that I once was to somebody who is decent and worthwhile and caring for other people. Mm. And um, to be able to reach out to other people. In other words, we can change from being the man that John Newton was before his conversion to the man he became. Mm. And that's what the gospel can do for people. That's what it's done for me. And it's still changing me. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, and I make the same mistakes sometimes time and time again. Mm. But the Lord teaches me. But you, are, you found Jesus now, and mm -hmm. you are uh, not looking back. You are, even though, as you said, from time to time in your life will come all sorts of negative uh, things, you know, because of the past, but slowly God is building um, on the way a, a strong a strong relationship, you know, uh, in between you and Jesus. And if you like to address or say something to some of our listeners, they may be going through similar things right now. What would you say to them uh, from your experience, from your relationship with God? How can we be different if we give all our burdens to Jesus rather than to carry ourselves? Well, When you fall, pick yourself up, up again. Learn to trust Jesus. Learn to trust God. Learn that whatever you've done in the past, it doesn't mean that you, there is no hope for you. Your sins are forgiven in Christ. Absolutely. But not only does it do that, it reaches you out to become more of a selfless person so you're reaching out to others to help other people. And the object of the gospel really is not about what's in it for me. It's about what through I can do through Christ for others. And that really is the essence of the gospel because it changes us from being self-centered people to becoming a little bit more like Jesus and more selfless in, in how we operate from day to day. I can hear you saying something very interesting. You are saying that we s should stop living for ourselves. Absolutely. We should live for others. As God came down from heaven to live for us and Absolutely. to die for us, that we may live. Absolutely. You know, very, very interesting thought, uh, Kim. And I will um, have to stop here today, but I would love to have you come back and share with us a little bit more about your journey, about your walk with Jesus, about many, many experiences with God. And I'm looking forward for uh, the opportunity to see you again. But uh, for now, this is our program for today. And um, this is in the footsteps of Jesus. And you can walk into those footsteps because you'll find rest. You'll find encouragement. 
you'll find everything what you need for your life. Until next time, may God bless you and looking forward to, to be with you again next time. Thank you, Kim, uh, for your time and for the opportunity to come and share. May God bless you. Thanks, Nick. It's been a pleasure being able to speak here.